All right. Welcome back to the Amber and Sierra podcast. We are so excited today for what we are going to be discussing and the special guest that we actually have, which is really exciting because it's our first guest. Heather, you should feel like like you're... You're first. <laughs> I am this really, is really honored, <laughs> honestly. This is, this is amazing, and I'm excited to be here. Thank you so yeah, much for inviting me. We're so excited. excited. Um, so I'm, we're going to introduce Heather, who is actually our cousin, my mom's, what, first cousin? Yes. She's first cousin? Our, yes. So my second cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, but someone that we love and literally adore so very much and really respect and glean so much wisdom from you. So um, today we're going to be talking about mental health and Heather is here to help us open up that discussion. But before we get into that, you know, we have to open it up with a nice little icebreaker. And the question that we have today from the best self um, card deck, icebreaker card deck, is this. So we're going to pose a question. Everybody has to answer it. We'll start with Heather and then mom, you go. Okay. Okay, so the question is, what were the three biggest turning points in your life? I believe the three biggest turning points were, one, when I ended up auditioning for a community theater group uh, called Teen Connection. When I was in high school, we went around and did uh, dramas that we wrote and produced about teen topics. Um, And so that kind of opened up my love for theater. Uh, the other one would be what? when I applied to colleges. I applied to all out-of-state schools. I changed my mind at the last minute wanted to stay in-state. The mm. only school in-state that I applied to was UCLA, and they said no. And so I went to UCLA. I had my grandfather drive me, and mm-hmm. I appealed to whoever signed the letter that said I was not accepted what? and let him know that I'm coming to your school. <laughs> <laughs> and he let me know you are not coming this year. <laughs> But the turning point on that was that he actually made a couple of phone calls on my behalf, got me into UC Riverside, um, told me to stay in touch with him. I could transfer within a year. I actually loved UC Riverside so much. My mm-hmm. degree is actually from UC Riverside based on the phone call of a man mm-hmm. who I went to go see. Nice. I never got an wow. acceptance letter, but I have an, a degree. What? Yeah. So just because you went up into the office, they were like, okay, Listen maybe here. not here, but we could get you somewhere yes. else. Wow. What? Yes. So uh, for me, learning not taking no for an answer was yeah. a major turning point yeah. and when it's important to fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's um, big. Yeah, it was huge for me at that point. Jeez. Um, and then I believe the third one, <coughs> apart from being married and having family, learning how to live with someone else, mm-hmm. going from single to being married, I think becoming a mother was yeah. a big turning point because it really softened some edges. Yeah. Uh, it taught me what was important to focus on and what's not important because I'm always good for a fight. Mm-hmm. If there's an <laughs> argument, I'm like, let me be in there. Let me get, my, <laughs> get my input in and it's about to go down. And I think when you become a parent, you learn that everything's not a fight. Yeah. Um, and where your battle should lie or exactly. not lie. Yeah. Um, and, and where compromise is important. And so I think that really kind of changed some things for me. That's a big. Nice. Well, um, if there are ever any open theater spots, I'm definitely going to be calling you. <laughs> yeah, now. right. Now that I know. <laughs> Hello. That is hilarious and awesome. Okay, Mom, go. Okay, so for me, um, gosh, I'm trying to think of three. Uh, I guess my first one would. Sierra, Sierra, Sierra. Oh. <laughs> yeah. 
love that. Uh, not so, though. <laughs> Although, yeah, that's part of it, you know. But um, I guess my my biggest three would be, or the top three that I can just come to mind off the bat, um, having, being a teenage mother mm-hmm. and being able to graduate high school as a teenage mother. Mm-hmm. Um, because I had to learn responsibility at the same time as this whole motherhood thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and learning how to uh, take care of someone else. So that was, that was one turning point. So I had to become an adult, even though I was a teenager, but Mm -hmm. had to become an adult. Um, the second one is kind of similar to, uh, Heather's with becoming a wife, you know, learning how to share and the compromise and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, That was a huge turning point because then you had to learn um, those compromising skills and the give and take. And, you know, again, that whole when you want to fight and when you don't. uh, And what battle you want to fight and what you don't. Mm -hmm. So that would be another turning point. The Probably the hugest turning point in my entire life would be the loss of my mother. Yeah. That whole um, piece... Just kind of, and it was so funny, I was talking to a co-worker today about it, and she had lost her mother a few years ago, too. And she was talking about how it was such a turning point in her life because it made her want to make every moment count and not have any regret. Yeah. Because she lost her mother at a, you know, a younger age as well. And so that was, that was something that instantly was like, I don't want to waste one moment. Right. So definitely a turning point for me with losing her and understanding that time is precious. Yes. So big, yeah. Um, I feel like I don't have that much life that I've lived. You still going? Like, I got still three going. points. I may have like two and a half. Okay, we'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> um, I I think maybe high um going to college was like the one of the first like biggest things that yeah for my whole life like yeah. shifted. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, going to college, especially because I was like really at the time when I got my admissions letters. I remember just being like, I'm not going. Mm-mm. This is not for me. Right. <laughs> I'm not about to go out there. Mm-hmm. But lo and behold, Sister Amber here was like, not an option. Sister, right. you're getting on. You're getting in this car. You're going. My going. grandma chucked me up there with We're a packing. car full of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, college was a big turning point. The other one was probably going abroad. Yes. When I went abroad, yeah, that was huge. a big like that changed my perspective on just life in general Mm -hmm. um and there are two that are kind of like tied for first well not really tied for first um i think getting my first like real job Mm -hmm. like full-time grown woman pension plan all right yes job because (laughs) i I feel like super like Adulty. Yes. <laughs> I'm adulting. Or my first bill. I don't know. Like one of those. <laughs> oh, one of those are tied for first. Those would be my three. Okay. Right. So you wanna Yeah. So um as we're sharing mm-hmm. um our life story and in th- the turning points in our life, now we want to kind of segue into something that's a bit more ser- serious. Um it is October is mental hair uh, mental 
Health. Health it's Awareness, awareness month. month. Let me get that right. It's the whole month? Because I Googled it and they were like, oh, it's only the first week of October. They don't oh. know what they're talking about. Uh, no, we Nothing normally celebrate month. the whole month. Yeah. Okay. Try to get people aware. Got you. Yeah, that a week is. is not enough time to bring awareness. It really Let's just be clear on that. I yeah. mean, a month isn't really, but you know, right. at least it's, it's, a, it's a start. Mm-hmm. But it is Mental um, Health Awareness Month and we kind of wanted to share um, some of Heather's expertise in the area. Um, because we know there's people that uh, struggle with mental illness, uh, mental health, and also people that maybe have siblings, family that struggle with it. And we want to just kind of know some of the, the the triggers, some of the signs, some of the things to help prevention, um, all of that, and just want to glean some wisdom from you and your expertise. So share with us, give us some background about how you even got into the field mm-hmm. and 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 all that good stuff. Interestingly enough, I was working at a mortuary up in LA. Hmm. And while I was there, there was a woman there that said, hey, have you ever considered grief counseling? And at the time I was thinking, no, I haven't. And so um, she said, it's something you really should think about. It's a great field. And, you know, I think you have what it takes to be a grief counselor. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Let me kind of look into this counseling thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I did start looking into it. Um, I did have a colleague and friend of mine pass away. (coughs) And that really kind of prompted me into wanting to go further into mental health. Um, And so I got accepted into a program in San Diego. They gave me a scholarship. And I actually went there, so I got a degree in marriage and family therapy from Bethel University. Nice. Their main campus is in St. Paul, Minnesota, but they had a satellite campus in San Diego. So that's mm, where I great. did most of my studies, mm-hmm. well, all of them, uh, after my bachelor's. And then um, after that, I started going into internships into the real world. And I wanted to be sure to get those internships that weren't easy. Mm. And what I mean by that is when you're a marriage and family therapist focused, you really are talking about relationships, communication. Sometimes um, you're working in hospice. You're talking Mm -hmm. about end-of-life issues. And I really wanted to talk about those people who are coming out of the hospital from mental health crises. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that really wasn't a place where marriage and family therapy students were going. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... I decided that that's Sorry. rare. <laughs> of all times to have the helicopter It would fly be by. now. That's why. <laughs> one day, one, one day, day. I know. we won't have to worry about it. Um, but I ended up interning at a crisis house as my one of my first internship sites, as well as with a, um, a school that was considered an alternative school for at-risk youth. Mm-hmm. And so those are my two placements. There are difficult sites because, honestly, my educational background didn't necessarily prepare me for those two environments. Right. We thought we were going to talk about, hey, how do you communicate with each other? Right. And they were talking about, hey, I want to kill myself today. Yeah. And wow. I thought, oh, well, that wasn't quite covered. Right. Yeah. Right. Seriously. And so I got on the job <clears throat> training um, for over a year and a half. And then after that, um, it was time for me to make some decisions. And they said, you know, you could always go back into you know, hospice care or other sites, or you could move on forward within this area of mental health. And I chose to go forward in that area. So I went into an outpatient program and worked there um, for a number of years and started as a counselor. I speak Spanish and so I was able to work in a bilingual way there. And then I kind of moved up the ranks to the point where I was the director of an outpatient mental health program. And so I did that for a few years. That's great. Um, And so it was an interesting journey to get to that place, but I kind of covered all facets of going from intern to clinician 
to director. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then that's kind of where my background is. So what I've seen and heard a little bit of everything. There's pretty much nothing you can tell me now that would shock me that I haven't heard a portion of, a piece of, or met somebody who had a similar experience at this point. Mm-hmm. And so um, I do bring a breath of... of <coughs> experience in working with people one-on-one and hearing their stories and talking with them and providing counseling to them. Mm-hmm. So what, in your experience, would you say, just in general, a person that has no clue about what mental health, <coughs> grief, depression, any of that looks like, what would you say would be some of the signs and characteristics of that type of person? Um, You know... It's interesting because mental illness covers such a span. Um, And in that span, you have people who have a little bit of mental illness and you have people who have a lot of mental illness. Mm -hmm. Um, And at any point in time, any one of us could experience mental health symptoms. That doesn't necessarily mean we're mentally ill, um, but we could experience symptoms. So I think it's important to know that even if you have the symptoms, it doesn't necessarily mean you have a diagnosis of something. I think when you start to see extreme mood shifts Mm -hmm. that are unexplainable, irritability, things like that, thoughts of dying, um, and not just in this context of I went to a funeral recently and I'm kind of feeling about this loss of life and end of life issues, but that you're always thinking about dying mm-hmm. or always thinking about taking your own life, things like that. Um, if you're frequently sad, mm-hmm. um, you don't want to get out of the bed, um, you're easily startled all the time, you can't leave your home, you can't go outside, mm-hmm. uh, you don't have great interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. Really, mental illness is a loss of functioning in major areas of your life. Mm-hmm. If you have that loss of function, more than likely you have a mental illness. And to put this in perspective, if I were in a room of five people, three out of those five are going to have some type of mental illness that's diagnosable. Wow. If you think about that, three out of five. Wow, that's yeah. huge. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. But what happens is, is that people experience the symptoms and don't get any help. Mm. And so they're undiagnosed individuals who have mental illness. And that's where we have a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So wow. they so basically it turns into it can turn into mental illness starting untreated. as just a symptom. It can if it's untreated, but some of it is just plain old mental illness, oh. mm-hmm. not something that turns into it, right. but that it's just mental illness mm-hmm. that's untreated. Like I said, it just because you have symptoms doesn't mean that you have a diagnosis. So for example, today I might be a little sad. Right. Um, I might think I don't want to get out of the bed. This seems like a depression, but the next day I went to sleep, I got up, I got adequate rest, I ate properly, and the next day I'm ready to face the world. Mm -hmm. Okay, the day before I had a few symptoms, that doesn't mean that I had a major depression. Gotcha. Okay. Right? Yeah. So the difference is is that everyone experiences symptoms at some point, Mm -hmm. not everyone experiences mental illness. But if you have mental illness, what I would say is sometimes it not being treated it can cause an increase in symptoms mm-hmm. so that's the issue mm-hmm. so if you had major depression that was never un- never treated then down the road you may have more depressive symptoms on top of the major depression that you're already experiencing mm-hmm. yeah that's interesting so what what specific illnesses fall under the label of mental illness 
okay, there are illnesses that are diagnosed in childhood, such as Asperger's, autism, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Then there are things that are just diagnosed, major depressive disorders, Mm -hmm. bipolar disorder, um, psychotic disorders, such as schizophrenia, anxiety disorders, um, things like PTSD, uh, agoraphobia, which means I don't want to go outside, Mm -hmm. those type of things. So um, those are some of the diagnoses that you'll find in the spectrum. And of course, there's so many more. Even drug issues are considered (coughs) a mental health issue. So if you have Mm -hmm. addictions, things of that nature, those would all fall in the mental health spectrum. Interesting. Hmm. So when when you, as a family member or maybe recognize some of these symptoms in maybe someone you love or whatever, what's the best thing for you to do to either help them besides calling 911 if it's like to that point, but what can you do to be a support to them? I think it's important to be able to have honest conversations about the things that you notice that are concerning you. So if I see someone that stays in the bed frequently, they're crying all the time, they're talking about, I wish I really wasn't here, and you don't really know what that means. Um, They look more disheveled than they normally do. Normally they're put together and now they're not. Mm -hmm. They're not Mm -hmm. brushing their teeth, combing their hair, their clothing's a little off. Um, I would want to talk to them and say, hey, I noticed that you're not your usual self. Is everything okay? Right. That's a great way to start that conversation. (coughs) Because if you go up to someone and say, you crazy, you need help. Right. Nobody's going anywhere, and all you're going to get is some resistance. Right. So you really want to be careful about how you talk with someone and really treat them like you want to be treated. If you were having issues, mm-hmm. you would not want someone to come up to you and say, what's your problem? Right, right. right. That's You're not going to get the right response. Thing mm-hmm. I'm going to engage you mm-hmm. in a conversation about, what do you mean, what's my problem? Now we have an now argument. Now I'm angry. Yeah. Yeah. Now I have a problem with you. Yeah, now we have a problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If I didn't have a problem, we got one now. Right. So you want to really talk about those things that you notice mm-hmm. uh, to start that conversation And then, of course, you want to help them see that maybe talking to somebody else that's a professional might be helpful Mm -hmm. because talking doesn't always help everybody. (coughs) They need to really be in a situation where they're talking to a professional and that person's evaluating what else they may need. They may need groups. They may need to see a psychiatrist Mm -hmm. for medication management. Mm -hmm. They may need so much other support that you cannot provide in the long term. So open to the discussion is really where family and friends can really kind of fill the gap so that they're not being undiscovered as having a mental illness, but that we know that something's not quite right and that you need to possibly talk to somebody else. Mm. What have been some like in inappropriate or wrong ways that you've seen families handle mental illness um hiding them Mm -hmm. from everyone Mm -hmm. pretending like it's not happening um specifically that shoving them in the back room 
process, mm-hmm. closing the door, and when company comes over, oh, don't go, don't open that door, right. don't go in there, right. and then nobody really sees this individual, mm-hmm. or if they do see them, it's in a very hurried fashion where they have no real contact with other people. Mm-hmm. They're being escorted into the car, escorted into the house escorted into the room right the door is closed and we don't talk about it right no interaction that's the worst that i've seen happen and i've seen that happen in many families mm-hmm. i think the other side of that is complete cut off mm. we don't want to have anything to do with you mm. you need to get out and figure it out mm, so don't contact us until you get it right and so that cutoff or the isolation are the two extremes that I think are the worst that I've seen. Yes. How, what kind of impact does that have on the person who's struggling with mental illness? Well, and how, like how, because I wonder, I asked that question because I feel like it obviously has adverse effects. Whoever is dealing with the mental illness, having your family kind of push you in a corner or, um, you know, completely ostracize you from the rest of the family is like, you want to go even deeper into the hole, you know what I mean? Right. Um, but I, I wonder if, if families knew, those who may be listening or something and they just don't know how to handle it, you know, what kind of cognitive impact can that have on a person who's struggling with mental illness? Well, one, um, lack of social support can definitely increase their symptoms. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Well, when you have no social context to speak of, let's say that the issue is psychosis, Mm -hmm. then you now are involved in a world that is purely a making in your mind. Mm -hmm. There's no other human contact to interrupt Mm -hmm. any of that. So then you're view of reality not only is skewed but also you're not able to interact with other people because you don't have contact so having that lack of social connection it can really be detrimental to Mm -hmm. people with mental illness and also detrimental to their recovery Mm -hmm. not having those social ties because they don't believe they can depend on anyone and that translates into I can't trust anybody Mm -hmm. so then when they come into mental health clinics to get services they don't trust you enough to actually provide help and assistance in this way because they've been cut off and everybody other person that they've trusted or identified as a friend has essentially cut them out Mm. and so it's hard for them to really be accepting of help in that way so of course that can lead to increased symptoms (coughs) and also it leads to not being diagnosed because i'm least likely to Mm -hmm. go and walk into in a clinic when i don't trust that anybody in there is going to treat me well right you think everybody's out to get you right you know because my reality is so skewed yeah. and whatever internal world that I'm living in mm-hmm. must be real. Right. Wow. That's, re- that's really interesting because I never really thought of it in that way, even though the lack of social skills and all that stuff, but to create your own world now, but that makes total sense. So even, even like talk, not even talking to them about mental illness, but just talking to to them in general, just can pull the connection out of, out of whatever world you exist in, where you feel like there's no hope or whatever. It can. It can, that interaction can like. Yes. It can be very healing in many ways. And 
people who don't have family connections many times find those connections with the clinics that they're attached to. Mm. So they get attached to their therapist, mm-hmm. they get attached to the psychiatrist, Whatever. they get attached to their group members, and then they start to form those familial bonds. Mm-hmm. And so now that's the connections that they're associated with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I know it's a whole <coughs> taboo thing, especially within the black family within the church in hispanic families asian families it's it's just we just don't like to i guess deal with the fact that mental health is is an issue right you know we don't want to have issues Mm -hmm. we want to be okay we got family we're good (laughs) so kind of give us some insight on how to deal and and let people know that it's okay if you need help and why does that exist in these yeah. like i don't under i don't understand why it exists in our families maybe it's because of like a historical i believe like, so you think you're strong enough to handle whatever and yeah. god can do everything and he is he's able prayer works absolutely but sometimes you might need prayer and someone to talk to too. Right. or prayer and a little something that has to do with medication to help you you know they can go hand in hand so right i think the first place to start is <clears throat> mental illness is still considered taboo and because of that people are least likely to access mental health services taboo in a sense that only crazy people do that right mm-hmm. only white people right do that yeah um <coughs> I don't hear voices, so I'm not sick like that. Right. Um, I'm not that sick. I'm not that sick. I don't have (laughs) those problems. Uh, And so with that taboo, (laughs) there are people who would readily admit that they do drugs before they would say, hey, I hear voices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because it's more acceptable, especially within the black community. Um, So someone being on drugs... Well, you know, they always had a little problem. Mm-hmm. They hear voices. Oh, now, you know, they're special. They're right. Special. <laughs> right. Right. You know how they are. Mm-hmm. No, we don't talk to them because you know. Right. Now they become ostracized from the community. So people really don't like mental illness and definitely don't want to be identified as having it because it may risk them being ostracized from the community. Mm -hmm. And so we see this happening in various communities with people of color. I want to speak specifically to the church community and the African-American community because that's the community that's near and dear to my heart. for the African-American community, we normally don't talk about mental health because we uh, are not necessarily more accepting of it, but I think we're more accepting that those symptoms are present and not identifying them. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, they've always been a little crazy or mm-hmm. a little weird. You know, that's mm-hmm. how they are. Mm-hmm. And because that's how they are, we're not going to address anything more than that. Yeah, And so if you're understanding is that they're just kind of little off kilter and we're not going to talk about that anymore Mm -hmm. then nothing gets addressed or identified in terms of mental health or anybody getting any help so you just kind of exist in this way within your family structure Um, and so then when you see those patterns repeated it's a consistency of just they're just that way Mm. and so then nothing like i said gets addressed 
in the church community, the challenge is, is um, over-spiritualizing everything. Mm. Now, here's a thing. Way back in the mid- Middle Ages, uh, mental health in the church, education in the church were all combined. Mm-hmm. In fact, theology was one of the biggest things that you studied, mm-hmm. and that was directly... Uh, in line with what the church was doing. So mm-hmm. church and schooling kind of went hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when people had mental illness back in the day, they saw it as a spiritual problem. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to come and we're going to deal with this as a spiritual problem. So fast forward to modern day, we still see mental illness as purely a spiritual problem. Mm. So in our churches, we're more likely to see demonic possession discussions or exorcisms Mm. more than saying, hey, this person might have something more than what's happening in the spiritual arena and they might need some medical attention, a mental health help. Mm -hmm. So we're least Mm -hmm. likely to make those connections than we are to say it's just a spiritual illness. And to take that a little bit further, I think that in our churches, and I know (coughs) this may not be popular, Mm -hmm. but I am going to put out there, I think sometimes we don't really understand the difference between demonic possession and mental illness Mm -hmm. and so someone who is psychotic and sometimes people who are psychotic really do talk about things angels demons they talk about things in the spiritual arena Mm -hmm. but here's the thing if all of your key prayer warriors are calling down fire to cast Mm -hmm. out this demon Mm -hmm. and week after week this demon goes nowhere Mm. Uh then I would say maybe it's time to consider that this is possibly a mental health issue. Um, Because the other alternative to that is that maybe these folks that were on your prayer warrior team that were calling down the Uh fire. Uh Uh-oh, what they calling down for real? (laughs) (laughs) Um, What exactly are you calling down? Right. So when we have these two Mm. ideas, Mm -hmm. we have to be able to differentiate Mm -hmm. between what is happening to someone spiritually Mm -hmm. versus what's happening to someone in a mental health kind of a way. Mm -hmm. And also, I would say, if this person goes to a psychiatrist, they have all these symptoms, you think it's the devil, they go to see a psychiatrist and they take medication and all of that clears up, then it's mental health. Mm. Because demons do not respond right, right. to medication. medication. <laughs> they because that's a spiritual thing. Yeah, so, you know, you putting something natural into your body and like, doing nothing for the spiritual that's, possession. That's too right. Yeah, and so we got to be able to differentiate those two things. Yeah, in wow. the church community, and mm. that it sounds like it it stems from lack of knowledge. Yeah, about like even in the cultural perspective, it just it seems like it stems from I don't understand it, so I either I ignore it or I treat it as something that I do understand when I don't actually understand this. That's a very good point. I think there's been an overall distrust of the mental health profession. A lot of times from the church community in particular, Mm -hmm. um, and even our communities of color, Mm -hmm. because we don't trust 
the face of the people yeah. who hold yeah, those particular positions. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Because um, ethnic groups of ethnic groups are underrepresented, represented in those particular professions, then our people are least likely to yeah. want to go over there yeah. and share yeah. their yeah. personal business yeah. with right. those people. You're right. Yeah. Because there's a distrust of certain communities anyway. Yeah. So there's that piece of it. I know for the church perspective, they don't always know what these people's beliefs are right. in their so professional arena. You. So they don't want you to go over there and yeah. start to embrace other ideas they may seem be counter to what the church is teaching on how you should identify and deal with problems Mm -hmm. and so because there's this distrust going on people are least likely to tell their congregants to go and seek mental health services because Mm -hmm. of that distrust Mm -hmm. Um, also let's just be real about it there are some people in the mental health profession that are little off from yeah. our own values. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I mean, and it's that's a just the reality. They're sure. people it that is. didn't grow up like us. Yeah. They haven't been to our communities. They may see how we express ourselves as threatening. Right. And so if you have someone who automatically sees and approaches you in that way, then you're least likely to share. Right. The yeah. other other thing I wanted to mention is that we are more secretive about our business. Oh, you we got are that right. not going to tell our business to everybody. Don't tell my business. We may not even <laughs> tell it at church. Don't tell my right? business. But we're not telling our business <laughs> right. to everybody. Like that. Right. We might tell it to a close family member, yeah. to our girlfriend. But other than that, that discussion stops. Right. So okay. how are we doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. <laughs> Oh my That's a stock lord! Answer. That is the stock that is response. The default that, answer. That yes. is that's it. How we? Yeah. Oh, the Lord is really working on me, <laughs> yeah. but He not through with me yet. Oh, yeah. you're like, what does that mean? I have yeah. no idea. <laughs> yeah, what that means right now. I cannot help that. Yeah, but okay. That's so. so oh, just please, so, so please true. keep praying for me as I pray for you. Mm-hmm. So these cliche <laughs> phrases, right. right, really don't allow people to really get a clear picture of what you are going through or how to suggest help. Right. Because if you keep telling me these catchphrases, then I'm, I'm thinking, like, oh, okay, okay, well, you all right. You highly favored. Right. 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 You don't need no recommendations. So don't there's no cool. recommendations yeah. Yeah. I need yeah. to make right. for you to talk to somebody else or right. that maybe this is more than what's in the spiritual arena. And so maybe you should talk to somebody professional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I can't do that because I don't have any idea what you're talking about. You're just giving me all these catchphrases. Right. <laughs> Nobody's getting any help Seriously. with all that. So well, how do you, um, how do you re- reconcile? How do you rectify that? This uh, this idea that we don't trust. Yeah, <laughs> we don't trust people in general. It's, imbe- it's yeah. embedded, yeah. right? We don't it's trust embedded. people in general. And I yes. feel like it's nowadays it's even more heightened. Yeah. Yes. The day and age we live in. Yes. So it's it's hard for us to just feel like you have my best interest. But how do you rectify that? Like, how do you say, okay, yes, I don't trust everybody, but I'm like, how do we, how do we grow to a place of being able to trust the people that are in this industry, not industry, I don't want to call it. Yeah. (laughs) Professional health services. Yeah. Professional. Yeah. Well, one, I think it's a shift in perspective Mm -hmm. 
of who mental health professionals are. Mm -hmm. Just like your physician would help you mm -hmm. with diabetes, for example, mm -hmm. and they'll help you with medication and, and making sure you have insulin and educate you about how to use it. Mm -hmm. Mental health professionals, likewise, um, can provide help for mental health challenges. Right. So I think the important thing to do to kind of break down that barrier is to have open discussions and not shy away from mm -hmm. having people come in and give more information and educate about mental health, mental illness, what to look for, and when it's time to get help. Mm -hmm. And let's just be real about it. In the grand scheme of things, if someone's suicidal, then whether or not the person who's providing help looks like you, goes to your Doesn't church, matter. shares yeah. your beliefs, or any of that matter. does not yeah, matter. Does matter. Because the issue is, is to keep you alive. Yeah, absolutely. And so it doesn't matter anything about their personal, whoever they are, right. they're there to provide help. And so we have to see people in these professions as people who possibly have also been placed here by God right. to help, yeah. period. They Even may not they look, look like, like you. you. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. They may not talk like you. Wow. But they're still here in the helping capacity. Right. And they can be helpful to you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's so funny you say that because I was sharing with Sierra the other day. Like, we'll go to the doctor if we've got a pain in our back. And, you know, I'm feeling like shortness of breath. Or I've got a massive headaches. Mm -hmm. You'll go to the doctor for that. But you won't go to the doctor if you're not feeling mentally yourself. Right. Or won't seek help if you feel like a little off. I feel like a little off, you know, or something. Yeah. We don't we don't take that uh, that chance to go and see and seek help. And I just don't understand in this day and age, it's, it's so ne necessary. Just so much people. Um, it's so necessary because I think it's almost like dire straits nowadays. Because I don't, and I, I don't know. I was sharing with Sierra. I don't know if it's with social media that it it seems like more prevalent that people deal with it, and it's always been a thing, or if it's just now, uh, it's it's been around forever, and we're just now seeing it because of the social media piece. But I think that it, it's something that we have to overcome. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think it's more prevalent because we see it more often because of social media. Because people are saying um, we're seeing it on television. We're seeing it online. Yeah. Um, so we're hearing about it more. But it's been around Forever. since the beginning of time. Yeah. Yeah. I think still this idea of getting help is still a newer invention for us. And so even now, I will talk to people who are in church, who are like, yes, I believe in mental health. I believe in making sure that people get these referrals. And then I'm like, and how's your self-care? Oh, oh, you know, I'm doing fine. Yeah, but you know, I, take, I don't take none of the pills. Like, I don't believe in none of that. I'll, I'll pray, but I'm yeah. not taking no pills. Oh, I'm not, you know. Yeah. So there's certain portions of mental health that still are not acceptable. And yeah. I would say medication is one of the top 
on that. They don't like, for sure. Maybe you can go and talk to somebody, but if they tell you to take some medication, don't take you don't take that. Yeah. You don't take that. Mm. Yeah. And a lot of that distrust, especially in the black community, has to do with some of the experiments that were done on black people right. back in the day, the Tuskegee mm-hmm. experiments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were doing these experiments saying, oh, we're helping you. Yeah. And now they're making the community sick. So people are at least likely to take any of the medications, your studies, and all mm-hmm. those things that you might be promoting that are helpful because of the history of hurts that have helped hurt happened in the community. And because if there hasn't been a full conversation and rectification and reconciliation about that, mm-hmm. that distrust is there. Yeah. 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 And it it's something that we don't even like we're not even aware of. No, it's just carried <laughs> like down. Like you don't yeah. take you don't take yeah, those yeah, medications. You, think, yeah. you hear that, you but you're not sure like what's going on. But there's reason why yeah. parents, grandparents don't want you to go to those mm-hmm. hospitals. Right. Don't want you to take those medications. Mm-hmm. Definitely don't get any research studies. Right. No. Mm-hmm. That's not going to work out. There's wow. an embedded distrust. But self-medicate? Oh, self-medication? That's on the table all day, every yeah, day. Before, before everything. Before anything else. I could take care of that. <laughs> With a little drink. Yeah, let me let me go ahead and down a this bottle real quick. Weed over here. Sometimes right. something a little heavier. I could just take care of that yeah, right quick. Right. And here's the thing that people don't know: that sometimes when we see people who are dealing with addiction issues from substances and mental illness, that self medication is real for them because they do say that they get benefits from taking the drugs. The problem mm. is that the, the risk far outweigh what they right. see as benefits mm. for their total health and well-being. Mm. And so what we want to do is educate them and shift their perspective on this idea of self-medicating. You didn't take the right doses and it hasn't been effective over time because you're still fiending for it. Right. And, and you're not really getting the benefits that you thought you were getting initially. Mm. Right. But at some point, they thought they were getting benefits from the self-medication process. Mm. It's just that the benefits they got, it takes more of the drug to get those same benefits and now mm. we're hooked. Mm. And so now you're just chasing some of the benefits, not recognizing that you're in an addiction, full on an addiction, right. and you're and not really thing. getting any benefits any longer for the symptoms that you're experiencing. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty That's I actually, um, it just came back to me. I had a conversation, I think at work, and basically it came up like, oh, while well, telling them like, make sure you take care of yourself this weekend, like some self care. And, um, one of them said, uh, something about like, oh yeah, I'll just have a glass of wine. And then she was like, hold on. Um, one of my friends told me that that's not self care. That's self self medicate. It is. Yeah. And I think we get that mixed up so often. Mm-hmm. We're going to get back into the conversation about like specific, um, I guess mental illnesses that it seems like are on trend. But um, when it comes to self-care in relation to mental illness, how do you, like, what do you recommend as a clinician of healthy forms of self-care? Well, one thing I want to say is self-care is different for everybody. Mm -hmm. So, for example, someone might think 
walking on the at the shore of the beach line, having the sand touch their toes <laughs> and hearing the waves is very relaxing. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm not interested in any sand touching my feet. <laughs> I don't want any seaweed coming after me. All that saltiness is just not right. my friend. Yeah. And so that is not relaxing to me. Right. But being in other places in nature, like in the woods, wilderness, that works for me. That doesn't work for everybody. Right. So self-care is different for everyone. But you do have to find those things that are non-destructive mm-hmm. when you talk about self-care. Mm-hmm. So getting touched with nature is definitely a good idea um if you want to read books you want to take a bath you just want to sit quietly for a few minutes Mm -hmm. that can be Mm self-care but like i said that's different for everybody right it definitely is important to do it's a priority you Mm -hmm. shouldn't make that yourself last on the list you should take time for yourself to make sure that you're regrouping re-energizing, recharging, so that you can now face whatever you need to face, whether that is dealing with the children, going back to work, even getting up and fixing dinner. Mm -hmm. But you do have to have that space and quietness where there's not chaos happening, where you can recharge. Mm. Um, I can tell you what it's not. (laughs) Self-care is not um, ignoring that you need to take care of yourself. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's but, what yeah. not what it is. Yeah, uh, self care is not also um, pretending <coughs> that you have no problems. Yeah, that's not self care. But really, be more aware of yourself and what's happening with you in that moment mm-hmm. really is self care. Mm-hmm. Because if I notice that I'm a little edgier than I used to be. Uh, maybe it's because I haven't slept as much as I have as I usually do. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because I have racing thoughts at night and I keep replaying my day over and mm-hmm. over, mm-hmm. and that's keeping me awake. And so now I'm noticing that there's this chain of things that's happening with me that I thought was just that I was a little irritable, but I'm losing sleep, my mind is racing, I'm irritable. So now I have these more symptoms than Mm -hmm. I ever really thought I had, but I have to be able to recognize that something is going on with me. And many times, yeah, and many times we just kind of go about our day like, yeah, I'm a little edgy, that's just who I am. Mm. Maybe it's not. Right. Maybe that's who you've accepted and become, mm-hmm. yeah. but that's not really who you are. But mm-hmm. you're so used to being that now, you don't know any other way normal. to be. Wow. Yeah, you're normal. Yeah, so when your normal starts to shift, even a little bit, you need to be aware and notice those changes because those are the times that you want to really be talking to somebody. You don't want to talk to somebody when you're standing on the side of a highway thinking about, should I run into the traffic? Right. Right. Yes, it's nice to talk to someone, but really, the people who are coming to talk to you are trying to keep you safe. Yeah. So they might be keeping you talking as they're planning to figure out how to intervene on your behalf. Right. So this is not a... You know, I'm really being really Mm self-reflective. This is, we're trying to keep them talking so we can come in and intervene. Mm -hmm. But when you start to notice these changes, these slight changes in your own personality, your own well-being, your own physical space, that's when you want to think, you know, it's not that bad, but it wouldn't hurt to really kind of talk to somebody about it. Right. Just to check in and make sure this is on the normal range of functioning, there's nothing else going on. A great place to start with that is your primary care physician. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm. If you don't have a primary care physician, then you can go to 
your federally qualified health centers. So Family Health Centers of San Diego is a great place to seek services. They're kind of a one-stop shop for health care, mental health services, counseling. They provide it all there and have an wow. array of staff that have several different degree specialties that can step in and help you and find you the right care. Is this the, a free service, though, that they offer? So or? it is based on a sliding scale. Okay. Um, and so depending on what your income is, you go in and talk with them, and they'll try to work with you based on your income. But normally they work on a sliding scale. Okay. Yeah, okay. if you are unfunded, there are services for people who are completely unfunded. Mm -hmm. But checking in first and, ha and talking with them, they'll give you those resources. Wow. So that kind of leads into our conversation about the economic disadvantages mm, of oh yeah. getting health care service, mental health services. Um, so what I would like to know, outside of self-care, for people who don't have access to the, the funds or mm. just health care in general, what can they do to maybe not in a severe situation, but like symptomatic um, to manage or deal with their mental illness or health. Well, let's say that <coughs> it's not just economically, you're not, you don't have access to healthcare, mm -hmm. but that you're not one that's gonna go and even access healthcare even if you did have. Right, right. Even if you did have insurances. So let's start with that baseline as our framework. Mm -hmm. The first thing I would say is talk about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just start talking about it. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, you know, I just haven't really been feeling myself. That statement right there, what do you mean? You're not feeling yourself. Now we're just having a discussion, right? Mm -hmm. right? And so if you have someone who's sensitive, who knows about mental health um, services, and they can say maybe you could think about talking to somebody about it. Let's say this person is employed, but they don't necessarily um, have a lot of different um, access to insurance. Sometimes your job will have insurances, and so they'll have EAP services set up through your workspace where okay. you can go and talk with somebody. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times that's part of the benefits they may provide for the corporation. So that may be an option for you. Mm -hmm. But the federally qualified health centers, the family health centers, especially family health centers of San Diego, because that's where we live, mm -hmm. um, you can definitely touch base with them as one of your primary places to get help and assistance when you're thinking, oh, I'm not feeling so well, I need to probably talk to somebody. That's but good. the most important thing is to have that conversation with yourself. Right. That I'm not feeling well yeah. and I probably should do something about right. this and then start talking to others about how you're feeling because it's isolation that keeps people in the dark in mental illness mm. and that dis lack of discussion keeps those symptoms hidden so much so that you could be brewing never getting the help that you need and your family members are completely unaware that something's wrong with you because we've never addressed yeah. what's going on yeah, right. now what is not that the family members don't see that right. there might be something happening. They just don't know the extent of it. Right. They just don't know what's going on in order to make a good decision about how to start talking with you about it. Mm -hmm. But if the person's not going to be real with themselves, 
then it goes yeah, back to this idea yeah. that you say, hey, I've been noticing you've been isolating, you've been pretty quiet when you talk a lot when you're around the family, but now you don't want to be around us. I just want to know what's going on. Are you okay? Mm-hmm. Start the conversation. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to ask those hard questions. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's important. I think that's going to really help families, not only with the person who, you know, is experiencing these challenges, but also, <coughs> excuse me, deeper connection yes. yeah. amongst families. Um, I know that's something that, like, our specific family has really taken some strides in and being very vocal about this stuff. Like, consciously. Not that we're perfect at it, no, but not. it's just necessary to say, hey, you good? Yeah. Like, and not, like, how are you because it's nice and kind to ask that question. Right. But like I really want to know like how's your how's your health? Yeah. How's your mind? How's your are heart? We okay? Are we okay really today? Right. You know, yeah. like a t- real check in yeah. to to be able to uh just see how each other's doing like with our kids and stuff like I know for for a fact even with my sisters and especially after my mom it just we all kind of try to check in and yeah. make sure that we are mentally okay as much as possible. Right. You know. So, and it's okay to ask people how they're doing, but more specifically, how's your health? Yeah. How's your physical health? Mm-hmm. How's your mental health? Mm-hmm. How's your spiritual health? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hit those three arenas in you your question about yeah. how are you doing? Right, yeah. How are you doing spiritually? How are you doing physically? <coughs> how are you doing emotionally? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How are you doing mentally? And really just kind of using that Build from as that. your usual check-in. Right. Not just, hey, how are you? Right. I'm yeah. fine. That's... Good. All right, straight. Yeah. I'm good. All right. <laughs> We're done. You're straight. Yeah. I'm good. Right. Yeah. That yeah. didn't really, that goes back to the, I'm blessed and highly favored. Right. right. It's the same answer. Yeah. 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 Different yeah. arena, but same mm-hmm. answer. Mm-hmm. You really haven't given me much. So I have to ask more pointed questions about, Tell me how your spiritual health is going, because mm-hmm. now it's a not an op- it's an open ended question. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not just a close yes or no. You know how you doing is something I can answer with one word. Right. right. But if I say, "Tell me how that's going," then good doesn't quite mm-hmm. answer yeah. the question mm-hmm. there or the statement that I just put out there. Mm-hmm. So learn how to speak in a way that opens up the conversation with people. In a non-threatening way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad we're having this conversation. <coughs> I, I believe that it, this is opening up the doors for many families mm-hmm. to be able to just sit down and just talk. Yeah. Yes. Because sometimes those these mental health issues stem for just like you said from just the isolation or just not having yeah. these conversations, yeah. and to be able to recognize it and live and be mentally healthy. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I know this, this discussion, this round table has definitely um, opened that up. Yes. So uh, with that being said, um, we're going to disclose, or I guess we're going to, are we cutting? <laughs> what? You go, <laughs> I don't know. How do you ask? That's so funny. <laughs> I just, I'm looking at you. You're not giving me no segues or nothing. I thought you were closing. I am closing, but I'm like, oh I didn't know goodness. if we were time to close because Sierra's looking I'm at I'm going to edit it. Anyways, um, 
Heather, thank you so much. Seriously. Thank you and for having me. Because it's Mental Health Month, Awareness Month, this is not like one of those things that, you know, will end here. Yeah. I feel like well, even the next this will be ongoing. we'll be talking about. I will say this. It actually is Mental Health Week, mm-hmm. but as mental health professionals, we like to talk about it all month and oh, all okay. year. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Because it also overlaps with Breast Cancer Awareness mm-hmm. Month, right, which is also right. in October. So that's yeah. why the week, oh, yeah, okay. we say it's the week. But as mental health professionals, we're like, all month long. Yeah. Don't just give us all year week. long. All that's month weird. we can talk about <laughs> these yeah. topics, right? But yeah. Right. But it is really just the first uh, week of October, I believe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But, but it's an yes. ongoing conversation. Yeah. It's important to have the conversation. I'm so glad you had me here to just talk about it because I think that's the first place to really getting help is just talking about it as a community. So know that we may not call our local healthcare providers Mm -hmm. for mental health services tomorrow, Mm -hmm. but I know that it's an option and Mm -hmm. that's half the battle. Right. I know that I might need to talk to somebody if I notice something's not quite right. Right. That's half the battle. And so as long as we're having those kind of conversations, I think it's impactful, important, and, and very good work in the community. Yeah. I'm excited for the conversations that are going to come out of this because I definitely think that there are going to be some conversations sparked in families mm-hmm. and in churches, hopefully. Um, but yeah, we thank you so much for coming and talking to us thank and sharing you so your much. wisdom yeah, and your great. expertise. Um Amber and Sierra family, we hope that you enjoyed this episode. Make sure that you share it with your family, your friends, your coworkers, whoever. Leave us a review down below and tell us, you know, what you enjoyed about this conversation and how you've been able to open it up in your own circle. And we will see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.